let's go to Midweek Media Watch. Colin Peacock is in the Wellington studio. Kia ora. Oh, kia ora, Emil. How are you? I am all right, thank you. How are you doing, Colin, more importantly? Yeah, and just uh, thinking about the reporters uh, in Christchurch, um, Anna Sargent there saying if the fire's not contained, it's obviously going to be a long night for reporters as well as, of course, the citizens there. So, uh, yeah, tough job. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember going down, I see this earlier in the programme, I remember going down to Christchurch um, to cover the fires back in, in 2017, and I think I had to pull like a 13-hour shift one night. But it was amazing at how much, I think it was the first breaking news event that I'd have covered, and it was pretty amazing how it, the adrenaline kept you alert and really on on top of things. You know, when you need to do something, it's amazing your capacity to actually go ahead and do it, isn't it? Catches up with you <laughs> in a little yeah. while, though. In fact, with that in mind, I was thinking about one reporter in particular, who was TVNZ's uh, Thomas Mead, Christchurch reporter for TVNZ. Mm-hmm. He was on the TVNZ One News at 6pm tonight, reporting live with The Blaze, uh, behind him, and I think that's the second time in less than a month that he's had to do that because there was the blaze in and around, I think it was Amberley area in in Canterbury. I'm sure that was less than a month ago. Right. Um, maybe there's been even more than one in the, in the past month, but definitely Thomas was there. He put together a package. I recall looking at thinking that beautifully shot for a, a relatively um, standard kind of report on an emergency situation. Um, it, it was beautifully done. I remember thinking at the time I might drop him a note and say. You know, that one, you and your camera person and whoever edited it, uh, you know, should, should keep a hold of that. Tutors could use that in a, as, a, as, a, as a how-to, but, yeah, he's getting uh, lots of practice. Indeed. And actually, speaking of Thomas Mead, um, you wanted to talk a bit about uh, yeah. Thomas Mead at the top of the programme. Well, just just 24... I'm sorry if this sounds crass, and particularly to people in Christchurch, but 24 hours earlier, and to Thomas himself, uh, he was reporting on a, a very different... Uh, kind of crisis that had surged to the top of uh, the news agenda. Uh, so he was on uh, TVNZ One News, their lead story on, on Tuesday. And in fact, we've got a bit of audio here. This was the, the breaking news that Thomas was imparting um, on, on Tuesday at 6. Well, in the last 20 minutes, we've just heard from Foodstuffs North Island, who own Pack and Save, who tell us that a lone mouse was seen at their Lincoln Road Pack and Save in West Auckland. It was spotted by customers shopping in the store, scurrying among the aisles. Pest control was quickly called, and apparently the mouse was caught and disposed of. So that crisis is averted. It's scurrying among the aisles. The buns, they just write themselves, don't oh, they? I suppose so, but it, it, it kind of reminded me of, was it Billy Connolly years ago uh, before New Zealand was hit with, well, I guess, a, a lot of serious news in the last 10 or 15 years or so, was making jokes about New Zealand being a place where a, a single animal could make the news, like a cat in a tree or something. With regularity, was, actually. Yeah, and he thought yeah. this was a good thing about New Zealand, but I don't think New Zealanders saw it that way at the time. I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty sure that was Billy Connolly, but I thought that was one you could just about file in that category. But yeah, 24 hours later... Uh, a very different news cycle for, for, for poor old Thomas. Indeed, and I mean, you know, while that that does sound funny in isolation, the um, the story, this this wider story, began with a supermarket in Dunedin, which has now reported, I think, more than twenty rats, right? And that is that's quite that's actually really quite serious. Well, it is, yeah. And I suppose yeah, in isolation, those things are funny. One one lone mouse, but. We spend a lot in our supermarkets. The more I think about this, you know, they're such big businesses. Um, we're controversial, indeed, for their hold on our on our you know national spend. So fair enough to investigate their standards. And in fact, today the Otago Daily Times front page today is a story by Hamish McLean. Uh, 
reporting uh, someone supplying them with photographs they say were taken by staff at the store over a four-month period. Uh, the Woolworths company has said we can't confirm the authenticity of these, so that's a proviso there. Mm. But, uh, you know, they're saying this will be part of the, the big inquiry that takes place with food safety officials looking into it, talking about uh, these pictures showing... Uh, droppings around the store, around uh, the bakery, at the bottom of a box of chocolates and stuff. So, yeah, not not nice reading for people in, in Dunedin, and certainly uh, not funny if, if that's true that that stuff's going on. It does make me think, though, whether these sorts of things do happen relatively frequently at, at stores or any premises um, dealing with food. And, you know, if, if someone doesn't take the picture, doesn't post it to social media, it doesn't, you know, immediately escalate um, as a story. So at first I was thinking, oh, this must happen all the time. Mm. It's just having that picture of the rats sitting in the in the rack with the cheese <laughs> in the deli yeah. counter. I think that was the store in Christchurch. That was, that's yeah. right, that was Christchurch. Um, you know, that's kind of funny but um, on, on its own. But, yeah, this is clearly escalating into something a bit bigger that will rumble on. Yeah, and I guess it does get into people's consciousnesses, doesn't it? Because if it's about food, I mean, if there's one thing that we all share in common, it's that we need to put fuel in the belly. Yeah, exactly. And Marcus Lush was saying that on his um, his night's talk show on ZB last night, but he also told his listeners, he said, next time you go to the supermarket, have your phone on with the video running in your pocket, because you never know what you're going to see. And I think, actually, people will probably be doing that. Yeah. They, you know, they might actually, be, and I wonder if we're going to see a bit more of this. And it might give us the wrong idea, but like, you know, Ram Raids or whatever, that uh, when the focus is on it, you hear about it and think every supermarket's got rats, and it probably isn't the case. Uh, let's move to, uh, well, a big international story, I suppose. And Tucker Carlson, the American um, uh, journalist, I suppose you would describe him as, and uh, TV show host interviewing Vladimir Putin, or um, perhaps, as some people have suggested, the other way around. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There was one funny bit, wasn't there, when Putin said to him via the translator, are we, is this a proper interview or are we doing a kind of talk show bit here or something like that? Yeah. And, you know, Carlson was kind of laughing nervously as if to say, oh, I don't know, you tell me, you're in charge. Or he, you know, it felt like he was saying that. Yeah, the, the, the thing was undermined from the start by Putin, uh, and a lot of people have said this, this isn't a new interpretation, but he rambled for about a half hour with the history of Russia and Ukraine, uh, almost defamatory to the entire nation and of Ukraine and its history, mm. I think. And that kind of undermined a lot of what followed. It was pretty clear he wasn't going to be challenged. Um, the ABC Media Watch show called it a chummy interview that was more snoozed than sizzle. Good little headline. Um, but one of the one of the most caustic critics was a former colleague, actually, of Tucker Carlson. They both worked at Fox. But Chris Wallace has a different sort of reputation. Yeah. He's one of the guys they go to to moderate presidential election debates. We'll probably see him later in the year doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a pretty devastating assessment uh, when he was asked about it on CNN. Here it is. But apparently that's not why Tucker went to Moscow. During the Cold War, gullible Westerners who spread Soviet propaganda were dismissed as useful idiots. But calling Tucker that is unfair to useful idiots. No, he's made a cynical decision to chase MAGA's affection for dictators. And what better way to cash in than Putin's Kremlin? It's a great delivery, isn't it? What yeah. better way to cash in than Putin's Kremlin? They, they do. They are amazing, those American um, TV hosts, aren't they, in terms of the drama and, um, and, and yeah, the, the level of their delivery. But I guess, you know, just on on the other side of the ledger here, this is a difficult interview in the first place. A, politicians are masterful 
uh, by and large, at taking a long time to say nothing at all. Yet alone, when you have to go through an, in, an interpreter, and yet alone, a leader like Vladimir Putin, who who seems to have little respect for, well, rules, I suppose. Yeah. So this is not normal, not a normal situation. So you don't. I, I'm guessing as he sat down in the chair, he didn't really know what was going to happen, what he might be able to ask, what opportunities he would have. Um, but look, the thing is. Just so many questions weren't asked, as Chris Wallace said there. And Chris Wallace himself actually couldn't resist trying to make the point that you could. There's nothing to stop you if you've got a bit of guts about you to putting a tough question to it. And he played a clip of himself in that CNN section. This is, I think, in 2018. It was in Helsinki when journalists were allowed, after a summit uh, were allowed to sit down face to face with short interviews of Putin. And uh, yeah, so Chris Wallace himself put uh, this fairly blunt question to Vladimir Putin. Why is it that so many of the people that oppose Vladimir Putin end up dead or close to it? <laughs> Pretty blunt, eh? And there was another one in that interview, actually, when I went and looked it up, where uh, Wallace gave Putin or tried to give him a bunch of papers saying, here's evidence that you meddled in the 2016 election, uh, that your country, your services did this. And Putin really didn't like it and just stared at the papers and kind of pointed at the table saying, you put them there. And he said, will you look at these later, Mr. Putin? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take a look at them later. I bet he didn't. In fact, someone probably set fire to them yeah, yeah. as soon as the room was empty. But um, that was quite a, I mean, visually, that was quite something. Wouldn't work quite so well on the radio. But uh, I guess he's just making the point there, uh, Chris Wallace, uh, that um, nothing to stop Carlson doing a bit of that, and he didn't. I mean, easy to lambast Tucker Carlson for even doing this interview, particularly considering that Vladimir Putin gives so few interviews now that this, you know, the Kremlin clearly felt that it had something to gain from agreeing to do this interview. But Mm. was it still was it still worth doing anyway? Well, it could have been. It absolutely could have been because knowing that it was going to be lengthy and that, you know, and you give give someone a bit of rope, they might hang themselves. So maybe no bad thing. Let him do his half-hour history and sit there rather compliant. If you let him run, maybe he'll say something uh, because he's not used to dealing with, you know, a Western-style media, if I could put it like that, or, you know, free media uh, questioning at all. Uh, so, you know, you, you never knew. And I was thinking about, you know, the famous Frost-Nixon Yes, that's right. I went and looked up bits of them, but there's so much of it, um, and it's kind of all over the place. Well, because um, he does that too, right, Nixon? In the in the earlier tapes of that, he just rambles on for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours about nothing at all. And David Frost is just kind of sitting there, like, "Oh God, I've invested my life <laughs> savings to get this bloody interview. What have I done?" That's right. Um, yeah, and in fact, the the movie about it made in 2013. Uh, that was a large part of it. Maybe they amped that part up for the, for the movie, but the thinking this whole project we've invested a lot. It's this is a disaster because all they've got is the grumpy. And I suppose the key difference there was that Nixon was already history, right? He he quit. Mm. Um, but you know, great interest in knowing if, what a loosened up president who's highly controversial might say. Uh, and eventually, he did uh, get him to acknowledge wrongdoing and apologise for it. So it kind of. Uh, worked out for him for him in the end, but um, yeah, I really don't think any uh, Oscar-winning movie is going to be made out of um, the Carlson Putin tapes from 2024. I mean, Colin, we, we sort of we seem to be operating from the assumption that the intent of this interview was to you know get in Putin's head or reveal something interesting about him or or the war in Ukraine, when perhaps the motivation was actually more of a commercial motivation. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I mean, it was um, also backed by Elon Musk. It went live on X for yeah. Twitter. Uh, they say 200 million views, but I mean, of that, I wonder how many people 
watch more than a well, few yeah. minutes. What's a view, eh? Um, yeah, I mean that's that's a well, that's a famous kind of conundrum about video and mm. claims going all the way back to Facebook and its claims in the whole media to pivot to video and then when the real metrics come in, you realise no one really engages with it nearly as much as um, the platforms would like to you to know, think they did. But uh, notably, um, Musk got a shout out from Putin, the Russian leader, saying. There's no stopping Elon Musk, and um, and uh, you know Carlson thanked him for um, providing the platform. So I think yeah, there's some vested interest there, Musk and X, uh, and his wretched investment in that, and Carlson in his own career because he's re-establishing himself um, on new platforms and new media now that um, Fox has given him the boot. Uh, and yeah, of course the um, the intersecting um, imperatives of. Putin himself but you know what effect all this has when these supposed 200 million people probably a lot of them Americans and followers of Carlson um, you know see Putin for what he is you know what they made of it what impact that had on them who could know there was I, I recall in the aftermath of that interview some pretty intense facts checking of the, um, the 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 historical lecture that Vladimir Putin ended up giving but <sighs> yeah was there was there much point point to that? Is there anything to be gained in saying actually this claim about Ukraine and where the border was drawn in sixteen fifty two is 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 inaccurate? Therefore, dot dot dot. You know, mm, and when all the falsehoods were stacking up after the twenty sixteen election, and you know, of course yeah. these reputable media companies putting all this effort into it, saying oh, he must every time he lies, it must be called out, and so on. Now I think we're at the point where I think a lot of people are thinking, particularly given the cast list, you know, we've just talked about Musk, Putin. Tucker Carlson, none of them really attached to the truth. I don't think it's particularly controversial to say when it suits their purpose. I think a lot of people thought, well, are we? can we expect anything vaguely truthful or honest or um, good faith you know, from that cast? And they, they probably didn't. But I kind of laughed when um, there's a fact-checking service, NewsGuard, that actually has an office in Sydney that even casts an eye over um, New Zealand media outlets looking for you know, pr- propaganda and unacknowledged stuff and uh, doing what they call health checks on um, media agencies and and outlets. Uh, They, um, in their newsletter this week that I caught, were saying that the indignity of Tucker Carlson getting fact-checked by the Kremlin itself afterwards, the Kremlin spokesperson saying, uh, Mr Carlson is wrong to say no Western journalist has ever bothered to try and interview Putin. He said, we got numerous requests for interviews, uh, but um, as far as the countries, these are his words, as far as the countries in the collective West are concerned, these are from major network media, traditional TV channels and newspapers. They don't even attempt to appear impartial. There is no desire to communicate with this kind of media. Mm. So <laughs> there you go. He was even saying, look, you know, the Tucker Carlson's big boast, you know, I'm the only guy who, who could do this and has bothered, uh, was completely wrong. So fact-checked by the Kremlin. Mm. <laughs> by the Kremlin. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, moving on and coming back to Aotearoa New Zealand and another controversial interview uh, this past weekend, Mihingarangi Forbes asking the ex-party leader, David Seymour, if his party was in, uh, linked to the international pro-free market group, the Atlas Network. And David Seymour didn't seem to like that. No, yeah, it's not, not quite Carlson Putin, is it? A bit smaller scale, this. But um, this was uh, Mihinarangi Forbes' podcast and video series Mata, which is also hosted by RNZ. And mostly this was a sort of sit-down, uh, in-depth interview with David Seymour, prompted by you know the push for the referendum, the Treaty Principles Bill, and so on. So highly topical. Um, but Mihi Forbes, uh, in the course of making a Mata report called Trick or Treaty, this came out just before Christmas, um, which is still available to view 
uh, on the RNZ website and elsewhere. Um, this was all about the uh, the voice referendum in Australia, and parts of that were dealing with how campaigns online sprang up at a certain point and um, and seemed to uh, influence public opinion, which then started tracking down in terms of support for a yes vote, and in the end the referendum failed. So there were people in that documentary in Australia saying, look, this sort of thing could happen in New Zealand, mm. and the Atlas Network and, and others and, and offshore interests were cited in that. So here's a bit, this goes on a little bit, this is about 40, 45 seconds long or so, but this is just, just a part of a longer section where uh, Mickey Forbes asked David Seymour about that. Well, if, if you're about to go into the new pizza gate of the left conspiracy theory, um, then I'll be real disappointed. What's that, the pizza gate? That's some crazy conspiracy theory that Trumpists have in the US. The campaign in Australia had links to the Atlas Network, a oh, network here we go. of think yep. tanks which promote individual liberty and free enterprise. Mm. Mm. And it's said that the network push, pushes opinion mm. pieces in favour of free speech. Do the ACT Party have any links or connections to the Atlas Group? No. Have you spoken or taken advice from them or any group associated with them about the treaty? So, you know, recently... um, I can't believe you're doing this. I've I've read about this conspiracy theory and you're actually running it, but that's cool. What... Hmm. What do you What do you think? Was that a reasonable question to ask? Do you think? Well, I think the people who think it isn't are saying, "Look, there's no evidence. Uh, there's no smoking gun about Seymour Act. Nothing he really needs to answer for that says Atlas had input into Act's campaign or, or, or into his thinking." Um, however, um, I mean that's why you ask a question, right? You just ask it, get it on the record, and hmm. it's not irrational, right? It's not unreasonable in the sense that, um, you know, when he went straight to referencing Pizzagate there and saying this is so outlandish it's akin to Pizzagate. That is a complete QAnon fantasy from the States. Mm-hmm. But it is not irrational to ask or suggest about or to think that it's possible that think tanks and lobby groups might seek to influence public opinion here, get involved in political issues, social issues. Um, and, you know, it's also known there are links between, in some sense, between the Atlas Network and the Act Party in the form of, say, the Gibbs family, right, for yeah. example. And this has been gone through by people who have been weighing up uh, that question, that, that interview, that, that particular response. Alan Gibbs, um, Act Party benefactor, his daughter, Debbie Gibbs, is head of the Atlas Network, uh, I think, in, in the US, or chief executive, I'm not sure of the exact title. And, of course, you know, so there's links between the party and individuals closely connected with Atlas. David Seymour has talked about Atlas. They've got common values and free trade and small state uh, and open economics and all that stuff. So it's not it's not um, it's not unnatural. So I don't think it's an unreasonable question. But if you're a news editor, you wouldn't look at that and say you know that there's um, a story you know act denies allegations of links. But the question is fair to ask. Um, and I guess that I mean the point that that sort of rises in my mind is that. Um, there are plenty of political parties that have links to to think tanks, or, um, or you know, I imagine that the New Zealand Labour Party, for example, um, would 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 share personnel and, and ideals with the Australian Labour Party, and that people who who work in politics in New Zealand might go over and oh, and trade union movements, and, exactly, and, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And, and, and so may, perhaps David Seymour perceives that Atlas Network is is standing for something um, bigger than just the, you know, the the. the um, than just being a think tank that they might 
that they might I don't I don't know whether they do or not but that they might um, uh, take ideas from or, or discuss things with yeah that's right so I think I suspect that uh, you know without wanting to speak for them but likes of David Seymour mm. Chris Bishop National MP also objected to this being on RNZ site uh, and, and and thinking that this was the amplification of a conspiracy theory so maybe they don't want to be you know, trapped into, or the ACT Party, for particular, David Seymour, don't want to be going into a sort of explaining as losing sort of thing. They probably don't like the suspicion or suggestion that the media, well, the, the media are amplifying a suspicion or suggestion that there might be undue influence. And also people think it's particularly sinister sometimes if it's offshore, you know, by these offshore things that want to promote certain ideas right across the world and don't really have New Zealand's interests at heart. So that's probably part of it. But it should have been perfectly possible, I think, to answer that question you know, do you have the, and he, you know, David Seymour could have said, you know, look, I share values with the Atlas Network. They, we have common ground with the ACT Party. I've spoken about them. But, you know, if, if he hasn't sought advice in the form of that question about this issue of a referendum in the treaty, then he could have said it. So, yeah, I think fair to ask the question, but it's, 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 it's kind of prompted an amped up response in both sides and a bit of suspicion and hostility. And, but that's, um, that's kind of, politics in the era we're in I think Indeed. A um, couple of minutes left Colin let's talk about free to air sport on TV because on Media Watch in the weekend you did a wee bit on uh, Sky screening NRL games live on free to air uh, TV on Fridays Super Rugby games on Saturdays and that was a that was a surprise move, and it's starting next week. What's the reaction been like? Well, yeah, we did a little bit on that. So initially, the reaction was, "Oh, this is interesting," because in terms of viewers, consumers, obviously, mm. you know. But I'm sort of thinking in in terms of the um, the sports bodies, like what do they do? Because for years, you know, they've been told Sky's the only game in town. If you're a popular sport, we'll put you on. Your sport gets revenue; it'll, it's absolutely critical, and that led to the sort of dependence that was worrying people. Now, if Sky are thinking, actually, we need to get adverts off free-to-wear. So that changes the game. Other sports will be thinking, what if they start screening NRL on Fridays, Super Rugby on Saturdays? What if we're some other sport? This is going to affect us if it does pick up a big audience on free-to-wear. So that flipping over and saying the free-to-wear audience is critical and the subscription one not necessarily. Um, Jason Pine on his ZB uh, weekend show had a fascinating chat with um, Super Rugby Pacific chairman, Kevin Malloy, because you know he's got to think, I'm not really sure whether this is great for us. This is his response when Jason asked him. Yeah, well, look, I think we we appreciate that um, that that Sky is in a somewhat difficult position with this, and that there is a balance for this. But I think if you look at the current situation and the need to be bringing um, sports like rugby to to a greater fan base, I think it's important to work out a balance and. What they're doing now in, in, in this current season, I don't think it's going to cannibalise subscribers, frankly. It's only one game a week. <laughs> cannibalise subscribers? Yes, Hello. when they start talking about cannibalising the audience, you start to worry. I mean, he's always worried that if people don't subscribe to Sky, you know, they lose they lose that. But for the, that's Sky's problem for the sports. Mm-hmm. They want the eyeballs. They want support for the sport. If free-to-air TV gives them that, they'll be happy. But, yeah, if if the money dries up and they're still dependent on Sky, that's the balance he's talking about. Yeah, the cannibalisation. Mm-hmm. Ugly kind of concept. Indeed. Colin Peacock, thank you very much, as always.